the NBA season has hit its midway point, and here to help us break it down is Eric. Eric, welcome back, man. Hey, Mo, how are things? Good to be back. It's been too long. It has, mate. It has. Um, and, you know, over the last few months, the NBA is now almost at the midway mark. It's happened really quickly where, you know, most teams have played at least 41 games. Um, some have hit the 43 mark. But, yeah, it's uh, time to take a step back and take note of uh, how things are shaping up. Yeah, it's been a, a good season so far. It's not what I was expecting in a, couple of, in a couple of areas. I expected some teams to be way more competitive than they were. And then they've they've kind of fallen over. So it's there's been a couple of surprises this season, which is is always good. It is, mate. And you know, when we first did when we first did our pod uh, preseason, I don't think all the warrior injuries had happened. Like we knew um, KD had left and Clay was gone, but we thought, you know what, Steph Curry's playing and and D Russell's around, etc. But that's obviously you know fallen to pieces. If I reflect as well, you know. We're now four months into the season or whatever. Zion still hasn't played a game. Uh, so, you know, that Pelicans team's a bit in limbo. But yeah, so a few things haven't taken shape. But let's start in the Eastern Conference, um, where your beloved Knicks play. As it currently stands, Milwaukee are way ahead of the, of the pack, really, with the plus seven games on the next rival. But the amazing piece there for me, Eric, is is twofold. One is Miami is in second, which is, you know, absolutely remarkable given where we thought they would be at the start of the season. But, you know, Jimmy Butler's really settled in well with that team and, and Bam Adebayo's come out of nowhere almost and, you know, sort yeah, of stamped he's, his... He's been sensational. Yeah. He, and nobody saw him coming. No, you know, absolutely amazing. And then a couple of other surprises, one being uh, the Pacers, plus 12, sitting in fifth there, just behind the Raptors, who we knew they would regress without Kawhi, but have more than held their own, I think. And then the disappointment for me, just in terms of their placement and what they've done, are the 76ers. And that contrast between their home and away record is so stark, Eric, that you think they're putting out a G League team, everyone there, every time they're away. And their main team at home. They're 20 and 2 at home. That's the best home record which they share with the Milwaukee Bucks. But then away, they're 7 and 14. It's such a such a remarkable gap between those performances. But sort of, yeah, that's added just like where I've seen sort of the big standouts in the in the Eastern Conference. And then of course, you know, your beloved Knicks. Before we get to the Knicks, Eric, down the bottom, I don't know if you saw they had a guy shoot. A three-point, uh, a mid-court shot. Oh um, yeah, in one of the games. I was, I was watching that, and I was like, we can't, we can't do anything without looking stupid. They gave him like a thousand dollars worth of scratches, mm. and then, and then and the- somebody hit one for like the Lakers, and they got a hundred grand, and then they go to go to see the Knicks, and the so he got like a thousand dollars worth of scratches. If he gets really lucky, maybe he wins three hundred dollars. He probably paid two hundred dollars for his ticket. So he's he's caught, he probably like won a hundred bucks. Like when you net everything out, so he, not including anything he spent on like food or anything while he was there. It's a terrible prize. <laughs> it's such a terrible look on the team as well. And look, he did scratch them all, and he won five hundred dollars um, from oh, those thousand dollars scratch. Yeah. Oh man, that's it. Such a reflection, it, isn't it? Surprising. It, yeah. Like you look at it and you just think. Yeah, yeah, we do that. Like anybody else, you'd be thinking, what are you doing? But with, with the Knicks, you just look at it and think, you've got so much money and you just find it's you just find ways to give yourself a black eye. So I don't, I don't know. I, I saw that and just thought, I hope people forget about this really quickly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, with that in mind, 
Eric, you know, across the Eastern Conference, what stood out most to you really? Is it the, the Miami uh, positioning, Philly disappointing, or, you know, sort of the Nets hovering down near that top eight position with Kyrie and KD out for most of the season so far? Yeah, I, I didn't think the Nets were going to have a, a big jump up with just Kyrie there this year because they got rid of a couple of pieces. They brought Kyrie in, so he had to settle. He He's also, he's like the greatest Robin that I've seen. Like you leave him alone with a team and then he just starts to find ways to to destabilize the whole place. So he really needs a, a Batman there to kind of make him work. So the Nets are kind of hanging around at that back end of the playoffs where I thought they'd be. And they're, they're lucky that the Pistons have just had so many injuries. Otherwise, they'd probably be looking at missing the playoffs this year. But the, the 76ers are the ones that I look at and just feel disappointed. I, I think we both picked them to come out of the East um, at the start of the year. Yes. Uh, their squads, they've got, the, they've got the best starting five probably of anybody in the East and they're just not sticking it together. And like on cue, Embiid ends up getting injured and, and needs to, to pop off and get a little bit of surgery. And there's it's just not clicking there. And you... You look at it and you just think, will will this team as it's currently put together, will, will it work? And they've maxed a couple of guys as well. So they're going to need to make some pretty big trades, I think, if, if they want to move forward because it just seems that Simmons just isn't going to get a jump shot. And like I think we're getting to the point now where you just think this is probably, this is probably him. He's not going to kind of get that jump shot but he's still a he's still a great player he just doesn't work with Embiid so you start to think you know are we going to trade one of these guys eventually because what we've got is probably not the right mix you know that whole I think we've, we're getting a bit of a you know obsession with the jump shot etc because I think Ben Simmons does so many things so well that it's a bit unfair how much pressure we're putting on him to get a to get a, a jump shot I mean I don't disagree that having a jump shot will just elevate him to another level but even the player that he is right now you know he's one of the premier point guards in the league you know if you look at his size if you look at his um his ability to bring the floor up with the speed that he does the length that he plays with and how well he sees the court I think you know what are, what are your thoughts on uh, them staggering the minutes of Embiid and Simmons a bit more so that they're not sharing the court as much at the same time, because if you look at Ben's last 10 games, which have largely coincided with Embiid uh, being injured, you know, he's averaging 10 rebounds, seven and a half assists, two steals, nearly 19 points throughout that period. And that's on shooting 57% from the field, because as we know, most of his shots are, are dunks or layups, etc. His free throws obviously need a lot of work. You know, he's at 57% there, which is absolutely shocking. When it comes to crunch time, Teams are happy to take a hard foul and not let him score because they know he's likely to miss from the free throw line. I think that's where the big work needs to be done. But if you look at those numbers and how well they're playing at home and Al Horford stepping up, Tobias Harris stepping up, there is a combination where Ben Simmons works with that team. I think the what Simmons is guilty of is, is his own potential because you look at him and you just think if you added a shot to that, that that is game over. He's going to be he's going to be a complete and utter monster. And the in terms of in terms of staggering them, 
you know, it, it could work. Uh, who's the, I can't remember off the top of my head, who's the, the next point guard down on the roster for Philly? No, look, good question. It's, I mean, Raul Nito, I think. Um, yeah, because their starting five is great. And then you look at their bench and you think, oh, <laughs> they've definitely, they've, they're putting a lot of money into their starting five. You look at the, the kind of size of contract that you keep and beat on, you, you could spend that money on somebody that, that fits a little bit better. And, and then you wouldn't have to be kind of staggering around your, like your, your, your best players. They, they're both fantastic. It's really a question of do these guys mix together because they could both have incredible success if the team was built around them entirely. I think that's the problem they've got. There's so much talent in those two. Who do you build around? Because they need different stuff to support them. And, And they've just got this, they've got two players that are just too good but need slightly different things. So I don't know how they make that make that work long term we we had a chat a couple of weeks ago about you know if we were going to trade one who would we trade and we were both thinking we'd probably trade Embiid but it's kind of bad because Simmons is the one whose game you look at and you just think you need to you need to fix that part but you'd still take him potentially over Embiid because if you get him the shooters around him then then you you're kind of off to the races absolutely and you know the reasoning i think you know we're both sort of settled on Embiid is twofold one is his injury history and two you know given where the game is going and given how well ben can finish at the rim uh, you know there's a higher possibility if you're if you're trading joel you find these uh, three-point shooters that a playmaker like ben can uh, can you know be able to to find on his on his you know penetration to the basket you know attracting the attention uh, of the defenders who now have to stick to a man and the paint is not clogged anymore, uh, which obviously yeah. Joel, he can maybe shoot 30% from the three point line, but he loves playing inside. So I think that's why I see that value, um, you know, from a personality leadership, etc. you know, a healthy Joel Embiid, you know, is a force in this league, but when mm. all things I think considered and given, given his injury history, plus how he plays, which is, you know, he needs the ball, he slows it down. Uh, to to be able to take his um, make his moves and and get to the rim and score, I think they they'd be better suited with keeping Ben Al Horford, Tobias Harris, trade and bead for a couple of you know genuine three point shooters, and and you're in a dangerous position now. Yeah, if they could get a little bit more depth in their shooting, so that their their bench can come out with a bit more firepower. That that'd work really well, and it's the the other one is if you could pick up somebody like a Brook Lopez that is a center that can drop threes, maybe maybe that could work as well. But I I just think it's it's starting to get to the point where you just think these two aren't going to to work together, and they're both fantastic trade pieces as well. So you as long as you do that negotiation piece right, you're going to get something fantastic back for them. I saw some stupid trade where somebody was saying, let's trade Simmons for D'Angelo Russell, like one for one. And I just thought, this person's on drugs. (laughs) I was like, there is no way I would ever accept that in a a trade because his his upside is fantastic. And, And even, you know, we keep talking about his upside. Now he's into his third or fourth year in the league. But even, you know, a Ben Simmons over the last 10 games has shown what he can do as a focal point of the team and really running their offense. And if they run with that, I think there's value in it long-term. But even in the short-term, Eric, um, I'm still 
um, you know, very bullish on uh, the Sixers being the best matchup for who is clearly the most consistent, I think, deep and, you know, number one team currently in the league, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you mm. know, you know, uh, Giannis was my preseason MVP, and I'm, I'm sticking to that. You know, he's at 30 points a game, leading the team in rebounds with 13, leading the team with assists with five and a half. They've lost six games all season. Um, you know, absolutely incredible uh, season so far. And, you know, what we expected from them, that depth, you know, you look at, you look at the Sixers and then the contrast with the Bucks and the depth the Bucks have, you know, after you go through their starting five, who can all shoot, by the way, and that's what Giannis has added a little bit to his game. He's still too inconsistent from the three-point line. But you know what? If he's hitting 30%, that's just going to make teams... Uh, it's just going to open the floor so much for him. You know, you, you have Middleton, Bledsoe, Lopez and Hill. And then Difencenzo having a great season off the bench. Ilya Sova, Robin Lopez shooting threes, Wesley, Wesley Matthews. And this team you know, goes seven, eight deep in the playoffs. And right now they're playing some amazing basketball. Yeah, they've been absolutely fantastic. The Giannis is somehow, even after last year, he's been, he's kind of stepped up to, it feels like another level. And he's added those, he's added a little bit of shooting to his game. And as you're saying, it's not great, but he doesn't need to be a, a sniper in order to completely change the way the floor spaces. You, he just has to be enough of a risk for you to have to cover him. And then that completely changes the way you play that team. And it opens up space and time for other people as well. They're, they're going to be really tough to beat. And, and I'm, I'm with you. I just think the Sixers are the only people that, that have the, the pieces in place to match up with them defensively. Because I just think Giannis will steamroll everybody else. Whereas if you have Embiid and Horford, you've you've kind of got some some bits there that will will let you enforce the paint and control of that space. But uh, everybody else, I, I just think Giannis had run straight over the top of them. Absolutely, and you know he's leading the league in player efficiency rating, three full points above James Harden as well, um, and that takes into account everything that you do on the court. It's just remarkable. He's having another amazing season. And staying in the East uh, as well, Eric, a couple of points there. Brooklyn Nets. I mean, I agree with you around what you said. You didn't expect them to do much without KD, even if sort of Kyrie was playing a little bit with that team. I'm sure you've heard what Kyrie said the last couple of days around that team needing another one or two pieces to be, you know, championship, um, you know, ready or be able to compete with the rest of the of the league. Now, I just wanted to get your thoughts on a team which has a healthy Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, in addition to all the pieces they have around them. Is that team good enough for a championship run or do you still think they need another two pieces? I'm not sure. So I was thinking about this the other day as well. Is, is, is there enough on this team once you've got those two there? Um, I, think they're, I think they're missing two things. I think they, they probably, they might need um, a little bit more shooting but and uh, which means maybe you need another piece or two. But the other bit that's missing is I don't know who's going to be the locker room leader and and the the kind of leadership person on that team because I don't really think that's Katie or, or Kyrie. And I think that's an important piece that they're missing because every every other team that has won a championship over like the last two decades has had a clear like. Com- 
a absolutely clear locker room leader. You knew who was leading the team. And I don't think that is going to be anybody at the Nets. I don't think Katie or Kyrie have any interest in, in really being that person. So they almost need to, I don't know if they need huge amounts of scoring, but they, they could, I think they get a lot of value out of a really high quality veteran coming into their, into their locker room. Yep. So look, the leadership aspect, I think that great point, given the personalities that are there. Uh, and it's always hard when your best players, um, sort of skill-wise and talent-wise, are such, uh, you know, prima donnas, really, and both yeah. in their own ways um, when it comes to just how they react to things around the NBA, the way they discuss things, the way they talk. So I, I tend to agree from a leadership standpoint, but I think from a skill standpoint, Eric, I'm not sure how Kyrie's teammates feel about those comments as well, just because, yeah. you know, I think they've largely held the fort okay, given... Uh, you know, their two best, you know, superstar, All-American, you know, whatever you want to call it, first-team All-NBA players are both missing. I think they've done a really good job, um, you know, with that team. And when one of your leaders or someone who's meant to be one of your leaders comes out and, and says something like this, I can't imagine it helping um, the confidence or their relationships within the locker room because you're saying we're not good enough. And I tend to think that any team that has a fully healthy Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on it is a team that will compete for a championship. So, you know, Kyrie needs to see how the next 15 to 20 games go as he comes back to full health with this team and see if they can make a genuine run into the the playoffs, which is just going to be a bonus for them. Uh, you know what I mean? It's going to be a good experience and then get ready to make a really good run at it next year with Kevin Durant. Just not a big fan of his comments, you know, his he comes across as really petty. And when you think about it as well, he had a sook in Cleveland about wanting his own team and being in LeBron's shadow. And, and so he got a trade to Boston. He had a sook in Boston because, oh, there's too many players that want the ball and this isn't going to work. And he was an absolute cancer to that locker room. And you see how well they're doing this year, even though I still think Boston's way too small a team to compete in the playoffs. And you could see how they get out-muscled for rebounds consistently against bigger teams. I think they're going to struggle in the playoffs when that happens. Um, yet they're still a better fit. I think Kemba Walker has been a great fit with the rest of those guys, just the way he plays. And now he comes to Brooklyn and he's gone from there's too much talent, this is never going to work, to oh, there's not enough talent, we need more pieces. And mm. for someone in their prime, you know, he just needs to like, you know, lock in and start taking on some responsibility uh, and leading a team as he says he wants to. I mean, that, that's his big thing, right, Eric? He went on a rant after one of the playoff games in Cleveland because he can't lead the team, LeBron's around, etc., and he feels like he's in the shadow and he wants to get better. And, and LeBron keeps sort of referring to him as a bit of a, a junior and keep, keeps calling him kid. And if you remember when LeBron talks about Kyrie, yeah. he keeps you, oh, the kid's you know, great, the kid's got... And so that would have gotten to Kyrie. Boston, we spoke about it, and now Brooklyn. I don't think he'll ever get yeah. it together, unfortunately, and he's just running out of chances now. Yeah, he. I don't think he understands how important, I guess, culture is to, to winning championships. And that was the, the great thing about Brooklyn was you looked at the team and then you looked at their results, and they were doing better than you expected them to do. And that's really often a culture thing within the team. They... they trust each other they know how to work together they've got you know good relationships in place and then you you looked at that and thought if i add these two awesome pieces to it that's going to be a, a contender and 
he to come out and say that in the media I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that to your coach or or the GM or whoever in private that's that's fair enough if that's the way he feels that's fine but you don't you don't go out and do that in the media and that he doesn't have a doesn't have a feel for how that would impact the other players I think that personality wise he just doesn't quite get the way you manage relationships with people and that means he's going to struggle to lead teams because people are people are going to have trouble with trusting him people are going to have trouble with with feeling like they're appreciated because he just doesn't know how to do it absolutely mate and yeah like i said running out of opportunities to get this right he's been in the league long enough now and he can see what really good leaders and he's been around a couple especially lebron how you lead a team, how to galvanize a team, how to bring people on the journey. And uh, yeah, I don't think he's ever going to get that around his head. Yeah, because I mean, you look at look at Jimmy Butler. I mean, he's he's destabilized a couple of locker rooms in in his time. But you can you could see each time he moved along that he was kind of getting more mature and evolving a little bit. There there weren't any real stories about him doing that type of thing in Philly. He moved to to get his own team. And now he's the centerpiece of the heat. So there's, you can see there's two different paths there. One guy who's is hard headed, but he's figuring out how to make it work as he goes along. And then another guy who just isn't willing to change the way he is at all. And one of those guys will be successful and the other one won't, I think. You know, my view on the whole Jimmy Butler thing is I think it's his team's success is almost accidental and, and hear me out. Accidental in, in a manner that is, I don't think Jimmy, and for me, that's a knock on Jimmy. I don't think he cares so much about winning versus him having his own team. Like he is not willing to adapt or, you know, fit in with certain players, especially those that are on a similar level in terms of skill and people who need the ball just as much as he does um, to get their own. And we saw that in Minnesota. And then again, when he went to Philly, I mean, that team is just stacked. And with a personality Mm. like Jimmy, um, you know, being around Joel Embiid and to a lesser extent, you know, Ben Simmons, um, he was just never going to fit because of what you said. He just wants his own team. I think if Jimmy was averaging 30 points on the New York Knicks and they're finishing second last in the conference, Jimmy would be happy with that. He'd have a suck and complain, but I think he being the alpha and being in charge of that team would make him happier than being the second or third best player on a championship team. Yeah, you know, that's probably, that's, uh, that could quite possibly be true, actually, because he's he does seem a lot more settled now that there's nobody to challenge him in, in Miami. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's going to challenge him? Goran Dragic? or Bam Adebayo? Like, there's actually no one who's going to step up. And, and that works for him, right? It just so happens that that team is coached by Eric Spolstra and is smart enough and working hard enough and has, and has an amazing home record. I mean, 18-1 and one at home, right? And the 50 split on the road. And so it's worked out that way. I just don't think that it's because Jimmy's making that team better. That- yeah, look, it's, you, you might be right. I definitely I was trying to think of a way to argue with you and I don't really have a, a straight argument. <laughs> The yeah, because that that team's just all round. They they've just been solid. But I think outside of outside of Bam, there's there's no there's nothing really exciting coming out of the Heat. But they're just being consistent and competitive with everybody that they play with. So, but I I don't know how far they'll get in the playoffs against um, against potentially Philly or if they get their act together. 
But if they stay in second, they won't have to see the Bucks until the conference final. So they might make a, a good push. Yeah, no, look, you make a great point. And, you know, worth, worth noting that uh, Justice Winslow is out still for the Heat. And I know he's a strong personality. So who knows when he's back and um, Jimmy has to, you know, play with him to fit him into um, the system. Because, I mean, you look at their starters, Eric, and, you know, Myers Leonard's been shooting great from the three-point line, but he doesn't need the ball. Bams, you know, he's a young player in the league. He's happy to get his own. Kendrick Nunn just brings the ball up the court, really. And then you've got Jimmy. So um, it's just a, a really good fit for him, uh, I think. So, yeah, let, look, let's see what happens. I think it's uh, a bit different in the East. But the way it's looking, I think Milwaukee's, you know, the runaway quite easily, unless Philly can figure their stuff out to challenge them in the playoffs. Um, if they can... Mm. Uh, to the you know the the conference final round it's a different yeah. story in the west though isn't it yeah absolutely the west is packed um my friend it you know i think the teams that we expected to do well uh you know in the regular season have done well i didn't think that the lakers would actually be leading uh the conference at this stage i knew they'd finish in the i, I thought they'd finish in the top 2 or 3 but to see them actually you know, heading the standings, you know, in front of a Denver team that is, again, playing really consistent basketball after a, a slowish start. Uh, and then followed by the Clippers, who they, they had another win today. Uh, Kawhi Leonard had 39 points against the Pelicans. They won by three points. And, you know, clearly, I think when the Clippers have both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard playing together, they're an unstoppable team. How are you seeing the West shaping up? Yeah, I... I'm seeing it as the the Western Conference Finals will happen at Staples Center. I, I think both the Clippers and the Lakers will um, will make their way through, unless it ends up seeding wise they play they play each other a little bit earlier. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I think the it's it's really the Lakers and the the Clippers. I don't see anybody beating them over a seven game playoff series. I I don't know why I look at because. I think we were both talking about the Nuggets having a really good record because of how strong they are at home, but I just don't think they're capable of winning it. I was like, I think they'll do really well during the regular season, and then I think they're going to get tossed in the in the playoffs. I don't think they're they're good enough to beat either the Lakers or the Clippers. the The Trailblazers have disappointed me a lot. Oh, yeah. I didn't think they would drop um, as as badly as they did. I had them sort of landing in the potentially with a home seed in in the playoffs but they look like they they're probably going to end up missing the playoffs if they keep playing the the way they are but i think lakers and clippers i think one of them are coming out of the west um but i'm i'm looking forward to to seeing the mavericks play some playoff basketball because I really want to see what Luka Doncic can do when he's in a playoff environment. So they've been my happy little surprise for the Western Conference. This season is seeing how well he's kind of improved and then the way he's starting to stomp, like stamp his authority on games. It's, it's been a very impressive season for a, a guy. How, is he still 20? Yeah, man, and it's his second year. Yeah, it's, yeah, second year, twenty years old. He's playing. He's playing the way he's playing. It's it's incredible. Look, absolutely. And I remember when we when we spoke about this at the start of uh, the season, we were sort of debating whether or not the Mavericks will, you know, take this eighth seed potentially. You know, with Rookie of the Year and Kristaps being on the team, I don't think anyone saw this improvement coming from Luca. 
think everyone knew he, he was a good player. And I still think, you know, he's... I'm not ready to dub him a superstar just yet. I think his defense is, is way too soft. Like, I know not a lot of players play defense, but it's just... It's a shocking level of defense um, that Luca plays. And when things... when people, Like you said, when teams, um, you know, hone on on you and they have time to prepare for you in the playoffs, it'll be a different ball game. But they've surprised everyone, including themselves, I think. They've been playing some great basketball. And sitting in sixth now, another team that surprised uh, Eric are the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, you know, Chris Paul has just galvanized this team and has been playing some amazing basketball, you know, alongside um, uh, Shea uh, Alexander. This team's now, you know, sitting in seventh, which I think everyone thought would be a lost season and potentially a trade for Chris Paul. The, the whole way that team got changed where Chris Paul went off to the Clippers and and then all the young guys came back and, sorry, Paul George went off to, the, off to the Clippers. They got back some really good young talent. And I think they got back a very angry Chris Paul. And it seems that when, when he's irritated, he seems to play quite good basketball. But it, it also feels like when he was at the Rockets, people forgot how good he was because he was just sitting there behind James Harden. And Harden, like, sometimes he's... he's a fantastic player, but sometimes the most frustrating person to watch where he'll, he'll just dribble the shot clock out and then there's three seconds left and he'll be like, hey, catch and hoik up a shot so I don't wreck my own stats or I don't know what his thinking is. But that's, that never created an environment for Chris Paul to really do well. And now that he's at the Thunder and he is in charge of things, you can see him him playing at the potential that he's really capable of. So I'm, I'm glad to see him, him doing well, but um, I always thought it was going to be hard to find somebody to take his contract. He's, he's getting a little bit old and he's on a lot of money and he doesn't seem like the, the last bit's a player option, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who will just leave that money on the table. It seems like, like my guess would be he would ask for the absolute maximum oh, yeah. of money make and he should as a professional athlete if, if it's there you, sh- you should take everything you've got your career is going to end you know before you're 40 probably they've they've done very well I think that the um Minnesota I think have been they started really well and I just thought oh maybe maybe because I, I think I was slagging them off in the last podcast going I was saying I've got no faith they'll make the playoffs and then the first 10 games I looked at it and thought I'm probably going to have to go on the podcast and admit I was wrong. And then, sure enough, they just started playing terrible again. So, I don't know, I'm good. They're, <laughs> they're not consistent <laughs> enough to do it, over a, do it over a season. But, you know, there's a lot of noise about, you know, Carl Anthony Towns looking for a trade. Has to, man. Um, he has to. Yeah. It's such a waste. It reminds me of a bit of the Anthony Davis being around the Pelicans, although they had a bit more success in making the playoffs. But Cat is one of my favourites, and watching him waste away on that team is just brings me a lot of sadness, to be honest. Yeah, because he before he got injured, he was playing excellent basketball, and he was he was looking really good, and the team was sort of playing a lot better. But um, he's he's got to leave. The you know coming into my my social media feed, there were like rumors that cats off to the Knicks, and I was like, this happens every time. There's a good player, and usually what it means is he's going to leave. He's just not going to go to the Knicks. I, I think it's a good idea for him to to leave. I I don't know how many years he's got left on his contract, 
I think he's got another another two years or something like that left. So whoever is going to try a trade for him is going to have to put together a, a pretty good package. But I don't... But like when you're one of those smaller market teams, people like Cat don't choose to go play with you. So I... I don't know what a good package for somebody like Cat to uh, a like small market team looks like. It's probably something where they try force you to overpay. Just like the Pelicans and, and Anthony Davis, they were asking for everything um, because they know that they, it's really hard to convince people to go there. And then you've got a sensational talent. You, Regardless of how many picks you get, you might not get somebody who is as good as Carl Anthony Towns. So... Um, I hope he moves on. I think he's wasted there. But I also don't know who's got the pieces to trade for him at the moment. So he might end up stuck there for another year or so while while other kind of trades and picks and everything kind of pan out. Otherwise, it's going to be some kind of monstrous kind of three, four-way trade um, trying to kind of make that thing work. Yeah, and, you know, further to your point, he's in the first year of a five-year, $160 million max contract. So oh, you can't God, it's it, the pieces, it's the first you better year. find the salary cut. <laughs> oh, yeah. Space, you know what I mean? He's um, you know, amazing player. Look, he's, he shoots 51% from the field. He was averaging, you know, before the turn of the year, you know, 26 and a half points, 12 rebounds a game, and, and four assists. I mean, these are all-star numbers. Anyway, mm. and he shoots 41% from the three-point line. To be honest, he, he's an all-round package, I think. Cat's an amazing yeah. uh, offensive player, but he's just wasted, man. Like, this team just never worked out. Andrew Wiggins has been so disappointing. Uh, uh, oh, that's got to be, like, dollar for dollar, the worst contract in the NBA, except maybe for John Wall's contract because he's broken in half. But Wiggins, for the amount of money, like, I don't think he's the worst player in the NBA, but I think he's the worst player with a big contract in the NBA. And he's chewing up a lot of cap space and, and really not producing anything for him, so, which is, you know, he had a had a great rookie season, but then I don't know what happened. It's yeah, man, like it's... the way he fell off, it's, it's just weird. And without like major injuries, it's, you look at it and you just think, I don't understand why this person regressed so much. I agree. It's just disappointing, shocking. They, they're they sitting third last in front of the Kings and the Warriors. I mean, they're even behind the Suns, for God's sake. It's um, yeah. it's it's so disappointing um, to see what the, where the Timberwolves are. And, and they need a whole... It's unfortunate, right? Like these teams, they, they go through these cycles all the time. You know, they, they go to the bottom of the pile and they make a few picks. You know, when they got Ricky Rubio... Levine, and then you had Towns, and you had Wiggins, and you still managed to stuff it all up. You know what I mean? Mm. It's it's so disappointing. But let's let's talk a bit about positives now. So Carmelo Anthony, um, you know, part of the reason Portland struggled, Eric, is because they had no bigs. Um, you know, Yusuf Nurkic has been injured all season. They they really lacked a lot of presence. Lillard and CJ just weren't clicking for whatever reason at the start of this season, given how well they played together last season. Uh, they bring Mello on, and he seems to have, similar to another positive story, and there's you know, some parallels for both players with Dwight Howard. You know, two former superstars, in my opinion, both future Hall of Famers, who have reached a stage in their career where they've accepted their roles, something that they had struggled to do for a very long time on different teams they bounced around. 
and they're playing some of their best basketball in recent seasons. You know, Melo being very efficient and playing his game, you know, and I think that's been one of the great things they've done for him at Portland is Melo's been able to post up when he had to, and this is when he's at his most effective. He isn't being asked to do things that he's not comfortable with. And Dwight's being reminding us of his great defensive abilities. He's bringing a lot of energy um, off the bench when he comes on and just finishing really well around the rim and hitting two threes or three threes for the season. So I just thought these two have been um, some great positive stories so far. Yeah, Dwight's been, I've been really happy for Dwight um, just because of, you know, the, the way he left LA and then the contribution he's made since he came back. But it's not odd to look at the the scorecard after a Lakers game and it's like Dwight Howard 15 rebounds, like Dwight Howard 19 rebounds. You look at it and just think that's, you know, he's come back, he's he's playing his role, he's doing a, a fantastic job there. And look, Mello, I've been I've been feeling really happy for Mello. The the way he kind of left the league and a large part of it it was his own fault. He he was a little bit overweight when he was at Houston. They were asking him to do things that he wasn't comfortable with, but he never really wanted to become that role player. Whereas now he's he's really kind of heading up that second unit over at Portland, and he, he's doing really good. He lost a bunch of weight. He he looks happy, which is which is nice. He looked he looked properly depressed when when he was at the Thunder and when he was in, in Houston. So it's, it's nice to see him coming back. I mean, I think we always thought with Melo that it wasn't that he was a bad player. It was just he couldn't play. He was not couldn't. He was refusing to play the way that he needed to play. And now that he's made that, I guess, commitment to, to play his role on the team, he's, he's out there and he's looking great. And he's got potentially another full year next year if he wants it playing in Portland. So... You know, I think he said, I, I think he was looking at this year being his last year, but he's not playing like a guy who's in his last year. So I think I think it's great. Um, it's the one upside, I think, for Portland's season is that Melo's coming back and there's a nice feel-good story going on there. And you can't tell me that Melo isn't sort of the eighth or better player on more than 70 80% of the teams around the league, right? Yeah. Like, there is no way this guy if, you know, right now is better than, you know, your seventh, every seventh or eighth player on nearly every single team in the league. Mello is there. And I think the change, Eric, has been in the mindset that I won't get as many touches. I won't do as many things. But what Portland has offered him is the ability to do what he, what he's always done, uh, what he's always done well and be able to contribute to the team. They didn't ask him to just camp out on the three-point line and, you know, just be a space guy and just shoot the ball like Houston did. They're saying, hey, if you find yourself on the post, take it. If you're mismatched and you can drive uh, on the opposition defender, then do that. If you're open for the three, which you can hit, you know, you can take four or five threes a game and you make two or three of them, fantastic. And that's what Melo has always been good at. And unfortunately, in Houston, they wanted him to do something entirely different. And that's sort of also part of the problem that Phil... Uh, Jackson had when he went to the Knicks, Eric, in that he wanted to play his triangle forever when he didn't have players for a triangle system. And that's always baffled me as well about if, you know, a manager or a, or a team that has this, uh, you know, mindset about playing basketball a certain way, but then you get this 
amazing talent and you're trying to fit them into you know a square puzzle when they're round and that's just never going to work yeah and it's it's what makes championships so special is that you need a you need a coach because coaches like players are going to have habits and they're going to have things they like and things that they think work and you need their habits and biases to match up with the people that they've got on their team in order to turn that into a championship team and with phil i always felt that you know he's got a lot of championships but you look at the teams he had i mean i feel like i could have won a championship as a coach oh. of jordan or the <laughs> like i look at it and oh, I was like, like what are you i was like what are you like but think of the egos on on those bulls teams yeah but that's that's the thing is that then it becomes less about your system and more about how you manage the people that are that are there and that's what i think feels great at Mm. but when it comes down to like the the x's and o's and having to adjust your stuff he's not i don't think he's that capable in that space compared to a lot of the other NBA guys that are out there. So that's, and that's why it's either, it's like champ or bust with him. There's no like consistent, like you know, high performing teams. It's yeah. like, you're either, you're either breaking this team apart or you're doing extremely well with the team. Yeah. Look, you don't bring Phil Jackson on for a rebuild or, Absolutely. or, or the Phil Jackson yeah. likes. I mean, I think he's, he's, Basketball days are behind him now, but it was just a comparison regarding someone not changing their style to suit mm. um, their roster. But just finally, Eric, LeBron James, I think we we continue to take this guy for granted largely because he's been doing this so well for so long. 17 years in, still putting up the numbers that he's putting up consistently. Um, he continues to be amazing to watch and taking on the responsibilities of being the essentially the point guard of this team and with the highest assist average in the whole league absolutely continues to be remarkable to watch and you know just really leading that LA team which has had a lot of pressure on it uh, coming into the season uh, incredibly well with this group of veterans that surround him who have all elevated their game all the way from JaVel McGee to you know Avery Bradley Um, they've just been amazing and it's I think all down to LeBron's leadership yeah I don't know how to quite describe what you're seeing with LeBron James. Like to be at this stage of your career and to be playing the way that he's playing, it's just ridiculous. I mean, he's, I think, I think he had some troubles in the previous year um, because it was a difficult situation. Everybody knew you were going for AD and that a lot of the team would have to get traded. And it's, it's a hard sell trying to get people to go out there and, and be really committed and play their best so I think he took a little bit of a, a little bit of a hit from that but then this year with the teams bedded in and you know that the team that you've got is like 90% of the way there except for maybe a couple of trades that might happen at the trade deadline it's everybody knows their role everybody knows what's happening and he gets to just kind of drive and lead this team the way he usually does and they're they're looking great and he's he's playing at both ends of the court. I don't I I don't know if I'd recommend that he do that. <laughs> I I still wonder. I'm like, can he have uh, you know a really potentially a difficult trip to the finals because he's going through the West. So he could end up having you know absolute wars all the way there. And he needs to remember that's where that's where his energy really needs to be focused. 
Um, but he's playing sensational basketball. He's an MVP, MVP candidate in his 17th season. He's leading in, in assists. I mean, he was, he was born to be like the greatest point guard ever. And now he's kind of, it kind of makes you wonder what he could have done assist wise on these other, like other years that he's played. But I guess he's realized he's getting a little bit older. He's got a guy like Anthony Davis who can just go out there and wreck an entire game. Um, and he's, he's never really had somebody like AD to help him do that. Like he did have, he had Kyrie and, and he had, um, Dwayne Wade. Yeah, he had, yeah, he had Wade where those guys could take over games, but not in quite the same way as when AD takes over a game where he can just smash it up the middle and dominate it. He's, I think they're, I think they're the best one, two in the league. The only problem that I have with the Lakers is maybe maybe you need to make some trades and get a little bit of extra shooting to to help you through. But this is the greatest 17th season anybody's ever had in the history of basketball. Look, um, absolutely, mate. It's just incredible. And if you if you look at the standings as as they are, uh, they're likely. I mean things can change a lot and they will. I, I don't think this is the final. I think Houston will eventually jump the Jazz. But just as it stands, they'll they'll play Memphis if, if in the first round and then they'll get, I think, Houston in the second round. So if that were to happen, um, you know, which is, I think, you know, okay, then they see the Clippers um, in the Western Conference Finals. But look, amazing play. I think AD is making a great case for Defensive Player of the Year. He's just been remarkable. And, you know, you look at the Lakers and I think, they have the you know the lowest um, allowed points per game um, in their conference, you know just slightly ahead of the Nuggets. So they're pretty much on on the same page there. So playing amazing defense and just you know leading from the front. The only thing is you hope they don't run out of gas towards the end. Hopefully they're building enough of a cushion to um, not have to play as many minutes. I mean I'm not saying take full games off, but if you can reduce the number of minutes um, LeBron and Anthony Davis play, then that can only be a positive come playoff time. But it's, it's going to be a hard slog, man. In the West, it's looking it's looking like a it's going to be very rough. Yeah, whoever comes out of the West, they're not going to have a, they're they're going to come out of that with some scars. So it'll it'll be it'll be fun to watch, uh, and um, also I'd, I'd like I'd like the Western Conference Finals to be in Staples Center. I think that'd be the the best story. But we'll we'll see. Just depending on seedings, it, it might happen a little bit earlier. I'm hoping that those two teams get to play each other at the end because you really you really see that two teams of that level fighting it out. Um, and where, where they're both at full strength, um, I'm really hoping that works out and I'm looking forward to watching it. Fantastic, man. Thanks for your time. No worries, man. Anytime. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave us your comments and your feedback, and we'll catch you soon.